Good to see everybody. Am I on? I'm green. All right. If we can turn on a light, that'd be great. I'd like to see your faces. It's not fair. You get to look at me and I don't get to look at you. So. Oh, good morning. It is great to be here. I have not hardly left the house for two weeks, and uh, and I really appreciate all your prayers. I've been under the weather, and and uh, I'm feeling better now, but I'm still a little bit out of breath, so we'll see how this goes today. Um, I'm going to rush through a really long chapter. Sort of. Probably not, because whenever I say I'm going to rush through it, it means I, I'm going to go on for like three hours. So anyway, we are going to... Um, you know, this chapter, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First, if you want to turn over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it is um, really, you know, next week we're going to finish up the, the book of 1 Corinthians with, uh, with chapter 16, of course. And, but this is really kind of the official end to Paul's content for, for the letter. The, the last chapter is just him kind of wrapping up some details that are, uh, that are great details, and we're, we're going to spend some time on them next week, but... But this really kind of wraps up his theological content, um, and, and it's a really great chapter to be in. Um, I was thinking last night about how uh, if you were to put together a list of kind of the greatest hits of the Bible, and by the way, Jim and Janie, OU, Baker Mayfield, woohoo, Boomer Sooner, just awesome. Okay, sorry, got distracted. <laughs> um, if you were to put together kind of a, a greatest hits list of, of kind of the best chapters of the Bible and the most significant chapters of the Bible, um, I mean, obviously, I think you'd have to start right off the, right out of the gate with uh, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, you know, in the beginning, God created, you know, the heavens and the earth, and, and then the story of the fall of man, and I think from there, you'd probably maybe jump over to Genesis chapter 12, God's covenant with Abraham, and Look to look up at the stars and all of that, and you probably then jump to maybe Exodus twenty, the Ten Commandments. Moses gives us brings down the Ten Commandments from the mountain, and we learn that you know probably the most important thing that we can do in our lives is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. and And so he gives us these Ten Commandments that teach us how to love God and love each other in a in a more beautiful way than it had ever been laid out before. Um, you'd, pr- you'd definitely throw in some psalms. There's some great psalms. Uh, um, I, for me, I'd probably jump into Isaiah chapter 6, the calling of Isaiah, and where, you know, God says, who will go? And Isaiah's like, here am I, send me. Um, jump into the New Testament with, you know, maybe Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes that are there and, and where we learn that in God's kingdom, there are those who are poor in spirit that are considered blessed um, and, and so much more. John chapter 1, where in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word, you know, all of that. and um, Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And Romans chapter 8, where we find out that uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation, and just the beauty of that. And um, there's more Hebrews chapter 11, where we get our Hall of Fame of faith. Revelation one through three, where we get these really beautiful letters from Christ to the churches um, 
Uh, and, and then the last couple of chapters of Revelation where we find out about this new heavens and new earth that are coming about. But I think you would have to put in that list of like the most significant chapters of the Bible. I think 1 Corinthians 15 sits squarely in that list. It's beautiful. It is um, it's significant in its scope where it, it's, it's a whole chapter about resurrection, basically. And it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing chapter. If you've never spent much time reading this chapter, I would say uh, crack it open and read it. And just, and it's one of the, you know, there's, <clears throat> there's some things in life that, that are so good that you don't, ha- you don't think too hard about them. You just soak in them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there, uh, I, I like going to different, you know, church leadership conferences and stuff. And, and I really love, there are certain people that when they're on stage, uh, man, I'm taking notes. And I'm like, oh, this is good stuff. This is so good. I don't ever want to forget this. You know, it's just that. It's just so you just you, you want to soak up all that knowledge, and it's so great. And then once in a while, there'll be a guy who comes out uh, and, and begins to teach. And I, I can think of just a couple off the top of my head that I know they're teaching, uh, and I know that when they come out on stage, I'm putting down my notes and I'm just sitting back, I'm crossing my legs, and I'm going to breathe in and just soak in every word they say because it's going to be good. It's going to be like a hot cup of tea. It's just going to be amazing, right? And, uh, and some books are that way or, or you know, whatever. And, and this is that chapter for me. It's just, it's just rich. It's beautiful. It lays out something for us that, honestly, I think if you were to say what's the central chapter of all of this letter to the first Corinthians, it's this chapter right here. I think this is the point that Paul needed to make uh, and that he's been aiming every bit of this conversation towards this chapter. Um, I love talking, you know, I'm a pastor, so I love talking with people about faith and I love talking with people about, uh, especially about their struggles with faith. Because <coughs> I think if, if, if you're going to have a conversation about faith, if you don't include some conversation about doubt, then it's not a genuine conversation. Because doubt is something that every single one of us deal with. There's some of you in this room today that you're, you're kind of new to this idea of faith and you know, skeptical of the idea of maybe church and Christianity and things like that, and you're, you're wrestling with, uh, you know, should I become a person of faith? Should I, you know, should I place my faith in Jesus? And all of this kind of stuff. And and you've got all these questions, you know, what about, what about science? And what about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, is there really a God? And you know, just all these kind of big, looming life questions that you have. And, and then there are those of you in the room that maybe you've been a Christian for a while. And, and, and having been a Christian for a while, you're also struggling in doubts, but it's more along the variety of, you know, these questions of, well, if I follow Jesus, do I have to be as, do I have to do it as radically as it seems is laid out in the Bible or as radically as, you know, Phil preaches? <laughs> um, you know, it, does it have to be to that level or can there be this kind of easy coasting version of Christianity where, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't look like a freak? And, you know, so we, we wrestle with all these questions about faith, whether, whether it comes from unbelief or belief. I think we all wrestle in some way. And 
this is the point I want to bring out, and I'm going to make this point right now, and then I'm going to come back to it at the end. And it's this, that when it comes to faith, there's really only one question to answer. And how you answer this question will, will dictate the answer to all the other questions, okay? When it comes to faith, there's really only one question to answer. And Paul, in this letter where he's been dealing with this jacked-up, dysfunctional church that is, you know, dealing with everything from really ugly disunity in the church and bickering and fighting in the church to sexual sin that is on, the, on a very perverse level to fighting over the communion, really. I mean, I mean, who comes to church and fights over the communion? To all kinds of other you know, crazy issues this church is dealing with. And, and in dealing with all of these issues, and here's a problem that, that we, we tend to focus in on those issues and make them to be the center when they're not the center. They're symptoms of something else that's going on. It's the same with everything else that goes on in our life. Your problems generally aren't what your problem is. They're symptoms of a greater problem, right? And so Paul has been hitting all these problems from different angles and just like, you got to be kidding me, you're doing this. you got to be kidding me, you're doing this. you got to be kidding me. Oh, my goodness. Like, how do you even call yourself a church, right? Just all this kind of stuff. And, and, but he's been pushing and guiding and steering this whole conversation to this chapter. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, it's long. I'm going to read straight through it. So everybody take a big deep breath. Get a comfortable spot for your tushy. We're going to, we're going to sit here for a second. We're going to read this. I want you to soak this in. And, and, then, and then I'm going to talk about it here for a little bit. Okay? So Paul says this. Let me get a drink. <coughs> he says... Um, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you, all, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, there's, some, there's a theological conundrum right there. This gospel that I preached to you, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Soak in that one for a while. I'm not giving you any answers. I'm just going to leave it with you. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as a first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or, or, or Peter, it's just another name for Peter. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared uh, then to all the apostles. Uh, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. <coughs> but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, but was not I, but the grace of God that's, that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now, here we go. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now, what he's getting to here is a, a kind of philosophical, theological question that was not only coming up in this church, but was common amongst everybody at this time in the world, that, you know, every religion had its people who would argue different points about this idea of resurrection. Do people raise from the dead or do... Actually, we, have, we, still, we still wrestle with this question today. The, all the, the new atheists, your Richard Dawkins and your people like that, that, this is one of their central questions that they wrestle with today is, uh, is there more to us than this physical body? Is there something that will last beyond this life about us? Do we have a spirit? Do we have a soul? Is there a resurrection or are we just, you know, put in the ground or bar- burned up or, or what, what's the case? What's the, con- what's the state of man? What's the condition of our soul if we have one? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul often refers to Christ as the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, he went first, he was resurrected first. Because he's first, we can be next. All right? Well, there's a resurrection for us because Christ paved the way for resurrection, all right? Verse 21, for as by a man came death, talking about Adam, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, uh, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. I'll let you untangle that on your own. Verse 29, otherwise, what do people mean? Okay, this, this is, gets really trippy. This is one of those passages, last time I was here, however many months ago that was, um, this is one of those passages like I referred to that said, when I said, I have no idea what it means. Nobody has no idea what this means. There's, there's no, not really a real record of what this might possibly, it's the only reference to this sort of activity in the New Testament that we have. Not, we're not sure if this was being... It, Practiced in the church, probably not, unless it was some sort of weird fusion of Christianity and pagan beliefs that were starting to come together as as, is common. We even see that a lot today, where you see a lot in, um, you know, there's like the whole, um, what do they call it? Santeria? Is that that the right term? Where you get this real weird mix of, 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 say, Catholicism with almost like a voodoo type thing, and, and, you know, like faith and paganism mixed together. I tend to think that's probably what this is that he's addressing, but who knows. So he says this, 
Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? That's it. So I don't know what that means. Good luck with that. So why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He's, he's kind of using the, the idea of a seed here. You put it in the ground, it's got to die before something new comes out of that, right? And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind, of, uh, one kind for humans, and another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. And there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, or, or in other words, Jesus is what he's referring to, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, here, here, here comes the kicker. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Yeah, it seems like he's been telling us a few. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, whatever you, whether you come, from a, come here today from a place of unbelief, skepticism, um, confusion, or a place of belief, you're trying to figure out what level of belief you need, or you know, what, whatever, whatever your questions are, whatever your doubts are, whatever it is you have. I said earlier that when it comes to faith, there's only really one question to answer. And that question is this, 
Did Jesus raise from the dead? That's it. That's the question you all have to, that's the question every single one of us has to come to grips with. Did Jesus actually resurrect from the dead? Because here's the deal. If the answer to that question is no, we're done. We can all go home. But if the answer to that question is yes, then the answer to every other question is yes. If the answer to that question is yes, then the answer, then the answer to every other question, the answer to all your questions is yes. Is there a God? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Yes, then there's a God. It, it, do I really need to put my faith only in him? Did anybody else rise from the dead? Just Jesus? Yes? Okay, then yes, you do. Did, did, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. Is it true? Did Jesus rise from the dead? Then yes. Yes? Okay, then it's true. What, what about me as a, as a Christian? Can I, do I really have to follow Jesus in the radical way that the Bible calls me to follow Jesus? Did he raise from the dead? Yes? Then yes, you do. It's that, it's that simple. If the answer to that question is yes, and that's the only real question you have to wrestle with, every other question falls in line right underneath that question. But if your conclusion is, I believe that Jesus Christ rose, physically rose from the dead, which I don't know if you're aware of this, but it doesn't happen too often. Only once that I know of. Only once. And if you believe that's true, then that dictates the, the questions and answers for the rest of your life. If, and here... This, you know, we hear a lot about this question of, or, or this comment about how insane it is to believe. Comedians nowadays are, are, are just piling on this topic lately, I've noticed. But how insane it is to believe that, that this dude, Jesus, did what he did and then rose from the dead. The insanity of that. And, and okay, let's, let's admit... Um, on surface value, it is a little bit crazy. In fact, let's just go ahead and admit it's a, it's a lot crazy on surface value. But you know what's even crazier than that? What's even crazier than that is that if you believe that he rose from the dead and you live your life as if nothing weird happened, like if you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have the boldness, have the brass to say, I believe Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. And by the way, I'm only going to change my life like this much. That's insanity. That's insanity. I can't imagine a person who would say, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I really only don't, I don't really, I just don't have to change that much about my life. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. It changed, tell me an area of your life that that does not change. If Jesus rose from the dead, you work differently than you worked before. If Jesus rose from the dead, you do family way differently than you did family before. If Jesus rose from the dead, you cannot just fall in lockstep with society and the, the kind of fads and whatever of this world and try to blend in and fit in. If Jesus actually rose from the dead and you're going to have the brass to make that proclamation then something has to change about your life. 
Because for nothing to change, when you say I'm following a man who rose from the dead, that's insanity. That's insanity. It changes everything. And this is Paul's whole push of this whole letter. How can you guys keep calling yourselves Christians? Do we really have to be unified, Paul? Do we really have to like work at unity in the church? Did Jesus raise from the dead? Yeah, he did. Then yes, you do. Because the guy who rose from the dead, the, the guy who conquered sin and death, called you to unity. So yeah, you got to do that. Do we really have to live moral lives and not be sexual perverts? Did Jesus raise from the dead? Yeah, okay. Then yeah, you do. That's the way that works. If some guy rose from the dead and you believe he did that, then guess what? He owns you. He owns you. How can you say I follow him? How can you say I believe this to be true and then let nothing about your life change? That's insanity. That's insanity. Way more insane. Like it's less insane for you to just go, by the way, here's my goal this morning. My goal is that for some of you who are skeptics in the room, that you'll, you'll, you'll wrestle with that question. Do I believe Jesus rose from the dead? And if the answer is to that yes, then I'm, I have to give my life to him. I have to change. So on one side, my goal is that. On the other side, I would like to, for some of you who call yourselves Christians to wrestle with the fact that you've been saying you believe Jesus rose from the dead and you live your life as if that's not true at all. And maybe you're not even a Christian. So I'd like for some people to walk out here saved, and I'd like for some saved people to walk out here going, uh, why? Because you're fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. You're just fooling yourself. Like, Jeff, why would you try to convince people that they're not Christians? Because some of you aren't. You have to come to grips with that. Some of you who, who maybe for years have been calling yourselves Christians and you live your life as if, you're in, as if you don't believe. You live your life as if nothing is different, nothing has changed, nothing. And you just have to come, you know, it's, you just have to come to grips with the fact, like here's the deal. I... You ever tried to convince yourself that you like something that you don't like? Like, I, for, a, for a long time, I was that way about coffee. Um, it took me a lot of years before I started liking coffee. But in, in the beginning, as a young man, like, I, would, I, would, I, would, I tried to get on the coffee bandwagon, and I just, I just couldn't do it. I just, I like, like I, I, would, I, would, I would talk a big game about coffee, and, oh, yeah, yeah coffee, 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 you know. Drink a cup of coffee, and I'm just like, I just, just could not stomach it. And, and, then, and then finally, you know what the thing that helped me start liking coffee was? Was there was a Ben & Jerry's coffee-flavored ice cream that came out. And, and I started eating that ice cream. And I was like, oh, I think I like coffee. And you know what I really liked, though? I just liked ice cream. <laughs> I just liked ice cream. But it was that thing that kind of helped, helped push me over the edge into, into kind of stomaching coffee, like I had to really douse it with ice cream for it to become good for me, right? And, and then I, I eventually started to enjoy a cup of coffee. Some of you, 
Like you say you love Jesus, but you don't. You know what you love? You love coming to church. You love hanging around these people, maybe. Maybe it's you love the music. Maybe it's you love like when you've screwed up and you feel a little guilty that you can go have a good cry with something or somebody, release a little bit of that guilt. But you're not living your lives as if you actually love Jesus, you know, because what it is actually that you love is you. Like, like I need, you need a whole lot of you and inject a little bit of Jesus into that, and, and that's how you can stomach Jesus. And I, I just want, I want you to all hear this, okay? I know this is a real downer. And I love those kind of messages, by the way. But what I want you to hear is this. That the life, if you're a Christ follower, the life you have been called to, there's nothing casual about it. And if you have embraced some sort of casual Christianity, you have embraced a lie. You have embraced a falsehood. You're chasing a unicorn. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Because the life Jesus calls you to, if you're going to stand up and say, I believe. I believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus came and lived for me, died for me, rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. I believe he lives today and that he's coming back for us someday soon. If you believe all of that, then you can't live your life as if that didn't happen. It dictates every decision. It dictates everything. And all your answers become yes in Jesus. All your answers become yes in Jesus. Do I have to really live this sold-out life for him? Yeah. If he rose from the dead, then yes, yes, that's exactly what you have to do. Here's the really beautiful thing about the resurrection is that because of the resurrection, not only do we have hope in some sort of future where, we, where our, our, we go on forever, right? Where we have an eternity to spend with God. But look at the last couple of, of sentences there in, in that chapter. Starting at verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. And by the way, the therefore, you know, the, the, the principle of therefore is when you see a therefore, you read what was before that, so you know what the therefore was there for. And it was all about the resurrection, all about the fact that resurrection is exist. So in light of the fact that resurrection is real and that Jesus did rise from the dead and that we will rise from the dead one day too, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what does that mean? It means that the work we do for Christ right now has eternal implications. It, it, it means that because of the resurrection, the work we do for Jesus now, whether it's difficult or whether it's fun, whether it feels like victory or sometimes it feels like a punch in the gut, the work we do for Jesus right now is kingdom changing right now in ways that will impact the coming kingdom of God down the road. You, we are building God's kingdom with him right now. This work that we do has eternal implications. We don't do church because we enjoy getting together and having a good time. We don't do church because 
because it just seems like something to do. We don't do church because we want to build the biggest church around or because of whatever. No, we don't do, we do that because we're building God's kingdom. And the work that we do now rings out and echoes into eternity. It means something. I can give my life to the work of Jesus Christ and to the work of this church because it means something. In fact, it's about the only thing in my life that actually does mean something. Everything else will pass away. Everything else is temporal. Everything else, nobody will ever love me the way that Jesus loves me. Every other person that loves me in my life will fail me at some point, and they'll fail you too. Put your faith in me, I'll fail you twice a week at least. Like it, it's, not the, it's, it's the only thing in my life that actually means something, that actually matters. And it's all rooted in that one question. Do I believe Jesus rose from the dead? So, so this is what I, I want to challenge you to wrestle with. You may, maybe you haven't wrestled with this question since you were a kid. Maybe you, you came up with an answer to it at one point way back in your little history or whatever, and, and, and you haven't revisited it since. But I want you to, you to actually wrestle with it and ask yourself this question. Do I believe Jesus rose from the dead? Because if the answer to that is yes, nothing will ever be the same in your life again. Your life will reflect that. If the answer to that is, if you're a skeptic, if you're, if you're doubting, you know, trying to figure out whether you should be a person of faith, if the answer to that question that you wrestle with is, yeah, I believe it, I believe this, then that's going to change you. Then that answers all the rest of your questions. Do I believe Jesus rose from the dead? Not do I believe that he loves me. Not do I believe that he existed. None of that. Do I believe he actually rose from the dead? Because that, the answer to that question will change you. It'll change you. For some of you, you're going to wrestle with that, and you're going to dive full into the work of Christ. And my fear is that for some of you, you're going to wrestle with that, and you're going to go, I guess I don't believe. This is what I know. That we serve a God who, as uh, C.S. Lewis called him, he's, he's the hound of heaven. And he'll never give up on you. And he'll never stop chasing you. And you may come to some sort of temporary conclusion that you're like, yeah, I'm not sure if I actually do believe that. And God is going to just keep knocking on the door of your heart He's going to keep coming after you. He's going to keep proving himself to you over and over and over again. You're going to feel more and more lost without him. Your life is going to spiral out because you're running from him. You're like, Jeff, that seems a little dramatic. I'm just telling you what I've seen over and over and over and over in lots and lots of lives. That when we running from God never goes well. Go read the story of Jonah. Running from God never goes well for the person running because God is relentless. You cannot out, you know, there's that kind of trite uh, Christian phrase of you can never out sin, you know, the love of God. And that's true. But you can never outrun God, period. You can't outrun him. He will chase you. He will never, you know how much he will chase you? 
He will chase you to the extent that he will step and did step down out of heaven, put on human flesh, and died for you. Like he's serious about this. <laughs> this, is a, this is not a game to him. He's serious about it. And he will chase after you. And so I would just say this. Wrestle with that question. Come to grips with that question. And let the answer to that question legitimately change who you are as a person. Like my life is not my life. It can't be. If I believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead, that he reigns on high, he's seated currently at the right hand of the Father, that he's coming back for me someday. If I really and truly believe that, then this life is not mine. It has to belong to him. And so I offer it to him. Why? Because I can, get, I can do that. I can get behind that. It's significant. It's more meaningful than me. It's more meaningful than my retirement fund. It's more meaningful than, than my career aspirations or my family aspirations. It's more meaningful than what position I would ever hope to rise to in the community or what, whatever. It is the most meaningful thing in my life and about my life. It defines my life. It dictates who I am and the choices I make and who I spend my time with and where I live and what I do with, to make my money. It dictates everything about me. My whole life is centered on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if it's not, then I have to come to grips with the fact that I don't believe he rose from the dead. But I do. So my life centers on him. So I want to challenge you to do the same. Like do, like look at the way Paul's been speaking to this church. We've been in this for, for several weeks now. It's been like, come again, come on, give me a break, give me a break. Have you forgotten what I've taught you? Have you, have you forgotten the message I gave you? And what's that message? It's the message of the, of, of the cross, and it's the message of the resurrection. He's like, if that's true, then it's time for you to put on your big boy pants and your big girl pants and start living this life as if it's true. Quit playing with it. Quit Faith is not a hobby. It's not a hobby. Shame on you if you fill out a job application and under hobbies put church. It is not a hobby. It's not something we de that we do for fun. We will have fun doing and living out our faith. Don't get me wrong. We will do that. And it'll be a lot of fun, actually. But you know what else it is? It's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. You know what's heartbreaking? Because we all suck, and we're all human, and we all struggle, and bad things happen to us, and we wrench sometimes from the way life comes at us. And when you're walking with Jesus Christ and helping other people walk closer to Jesus Christ, and you're walking with people, not just through the victories and the fun times and the jokes of life, but you're also walking with them through the hardest times of their life, it sucks. It's a punch in the gut for me. I was just talking, Phil and I were just talking about it earlier. What a joy it is to serve God in the capacity that we get to serve God. I mean the greatest joy of our lives. And many of you could say the same thing. And what pain it is at times to walk with people in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. It's not a game. It's life. And it's real. And yes, it's going to be good. And yes, it's going to be victorious. And yes, we're going to have fun doing it. And yes, 
We're going to walk with people through dark things. And yes, we're going to see people fall. And yes, we're going to see people doubt and wander away. And yes, and yes, and yes, all of that's true. It's not one or the other, it's both. Yes, why does Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn? Because they look at life and they know there's something to mourn about. They're not just, you know, this is why the whole health and I'm going, I told you I was going to go longer. This is why the whole health and wealth, the welfare gospel that TV preachers preach is such a bag of stuff. Why? Because they ignore, the, they ignore one perfect, very important fact about life, that it exists. They ignore the fact that it's, it's all, you know, just name it and claim it, and Jesus wants to bless you, and he wants to give you this, and he wants to give you that. Yeah, that's all, that's all great, and that's all true. You know what else happens? Life happens. Pain happens. Death happens. Sin happens. Doubt happens. All of that stuff happens, but it's bearable and we can walk through it, and we can walk with other people through it. Why? Because Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, and we're next. We're next. So, go home. You don't have to make a, a decision today. Although it'd be great if you did, it'd be awesome. We'd all clap for you. But go home and wrestle with that question. Do I believe Jesus rose from the dead? Because if you do, then something's got to change. Amen? Amen. All right. I don't have any more breath. Let's pray. Father, um, we love you. And we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much that it gives us a testimony about um, the life, the death, the resurrection of, of King Jesus. God, we also recognize that your word tells us that any faith that we have comes from you. And so what we're not proposing this morning is some sort of um, spiritual weightlifting competition where those of us who have the faith to believe that you're risen stand up and brag about our strong faith and those of us who don't walk away feeling dejected uh, but rather we submit ourselves to you and we are real about the fact that sometimes uh, faith comes easy and sometimes doubt comes easier and so we trust you to give us the faith to believe what is true and what you've called us to believe Thank you so much that you've seen fit to, uh, to smile upon us, <coughs> to send your son to die for us, to live for us, to live again for us, to make over this world into something brand new to your own glory. Thank you so much. And God, I, I'll just for myself, stand and say, I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. My Lord and my Savior, I believe you rose again. And I believe that even now, as the song says that we sing from time to time, you who are resurrected, you're resurrecting us. We're being resurrected now. You're taking 
the ashes that we bring to you and you turn them to beauty. You're taking the death that we bring to you and you turn it into life. You take something that is completely lacking in glory and you bring yourself glory through us. And so God, help us to live lives as if we believe what we say. Help us stop playing church. Instead, just help us to really and truly live out our convictions. God, I I know, I, I believe that everybody in this room who has proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ and proclaimed him as the risen Lord, I believe that they believe that. But God, as Paul does to the church here in Corinth, remind us that with that belief comes a life change. And God, give us the courage and the faith to allow your Holy Spirit to change us in ways that make us more like you. Help us to live lives that reflect we believe what we say we believe. You're a good God, and we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. God is good. Amen. Amen. God is good.